Data Storytellers. Today, I'm here with Morton Oris Paulson, who's the Head of Analytics over at Camstrap. Thanks for joining us, Morton. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Just to start with, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your current role, uh, you know, your passion for analytics, a bit of a, uh, a summary of Morton. <laughs> Uh, well, as you can probably hear from my accent, I'm I'm not uh, born with English as my native language, so I'm Danish by uh, by birth, and that's where I lived my well most of my life. I had a brief uh, stop in Spain uh, in my high school years when I lived there, um, but essentially uh, the the very the very short story is that uh, I'm an engineer by by training, manufacturing engineer actually, and that's also where I started my career. Uh, but quickly found out that uh, the passion I had throughout my studies for for programming for math, uh, I could take that easily into the work I did. And after a couple of uh, detours uh, on the dark side, working as a management consultant, for example, uh, I ended up working uh, with business intelligence at the Lake Group, and then later transitioned into uh, big data and uh, data science at the same place. And that led me to the uh, the job that I have currently at Campstock, where I head up our analytics setup. Mm. And you're kind of the 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 living embodiment of of moving from a more IT focus to to analytics, right? You know, BI, then big data and analytics, then data science, and now heading up analytics for for Camstrap. What are you up to in the in the current role then? Uh, essentially, Camstrap provides uh, software and hardware for for utilities. So basically, the the foundation for the company is uh, is meters for for water utilities, for for power utilities, and uh, also for district heating, which is uh, sort of a northern European thing. Um, mm. But basically, we have the meters that measure the consumption and uh, is able to give all, all sorts of alarms. And then obviously, uh, there's, a, there's a short stretch uh, forward-wise from having a meter that collects data to actually building some software on top that allows you to extract some, uh, some knowledge and then act upon it. Mm. And it's, it's the latter that, uh, that we do as part of the analytics team. Interesting. So you you come from from Lego and, and now at Camstrap, two very different organizations, probably using yeah. analytics in very different ways. How do you see... The data analytics function today. What do you think about uh, you know the general progress of data-driven business transformation in the corporate world? I've always smiled when I when I hear the, the word data-driven because <laughs> uh, maybe it's because of my Danish heritage. Because it, driven in Danish also means that someone is bossing you around, huh. um, and uh, and this this notion that uh, data is is sort of telling you where to go is one that doesn't sit very well with me. So uh, I, I prefer data informed. Uh, that's uh, that's much better. And honestly, uh, I think the term has been around for, for quite a few years now. Uh, but it still feels like we have quite a, a long way to go. Uh, we talk a lot about it, and it's it's part of almost any uh, C level uh, person's uh, vocabulary that we need to be data driven. Uh, but there's a there's a fairly uh, there's a fairly long road ahead of us before we sort of fully become data driven in in all aspects of uh, our operations. Hmm. Very interesting about the, the the dynamic of the word driven. Uh, what do you think is is data informed? And how would you how would you define uh, an organization or a team that is data informed? I actually think it's uh, the the ideal organization, if you can talk about such a thing, is one that is uh, that actually is informed both by by quantitative data as well as uh, qualitative data. Um, I had a brief stop while working for Lego in something called Global Insights, and that was a, that was a brilliant mix of uh, people working sort of with the traditional insights, uh, so uh, ethnographs and, and similar uh, people who would go out and actually uh, speak to people and understand what they, their thoughts were about particular topics, particular products. And then we would, uh, we would bring sort of the, the hard data uh, of actually looking at how people would behave when they had interactions with our digital 
uh, offerings. And I think that mix, if you can have that mix uh, in any uh, leadership process where you get both hard days as well as someone who's actually uh, going out and, and talking to people, that to me is, is, uh, is a killer combo. Mm, and, and this is super interesting because a lot of uh, data around that is, is and, and making people data informed, let's say, is about good communication and, 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 and leveraging uh, a, an influential mindset. Uh, and almost infecting the business with with a, a positive culture. Uh, what are some of the ways that maybe when you were at Lego that you you were able to have these communications with the the product teams and and be able to to as you said leverage that hard data in the right way? I actually think that that doesn't just apply to to Lego or to to Camstable or to my my previous positions. That in in most cases uh, having something that people can can look at, something they can touch. Is uh, is by far the best way to uh, to persuade people to to invest in it. Um, it's very very hard to sell slideware uh, when it comes to data analytics because it ends up being a lot of uh, charts and a lot of big claims. Uh, but it isn't until people can actually see what what kind of difference does it make for them that they are willing to buy into it. Um, I had a I had a manager early on who uh, who said, well, the, the biggest difference between working with business intelligence and working with analytics is that. With business intelligence, you can still do the calculations on the back of a napkin. And that gives some confidence into the conversations because you can actually sit down and, and do the math and say, okay, I now trust the, the, the things that they came up with. With analytics, and I think especially with, with machine learning, uh, we are asking people to trust us because it's it's very, very hard to uh, to explain exactly what goes on in the stomach of, uh, of a machine learning algorithm. Um, and, and that's the challenge that we face. That we, uh, and I also think we are failing sometimes to uh, to accept that we cannot just uh, expect people to trust us uh, by by the, uh, by face value. It's, it, it it has to be something that we demonstrate to them that this is worth trusting. Mm. Lots of great stuff there. And, and actually, before we get into that, I just want to kind of touch on uh, your own career background, you know, moving from the, uh, the the BI on the back of a napkin to actually be, having to leverage that trust. How, how was that transition for you moving from 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 being able to show someone here's the data to being able uh, to being maybe more a bit subjective to other people's trust? You know, we I say we because we were we were a team that uh, all started on the journey together. Um, we found it difficult, and uh, it wasn't until we started building uh, small uh, dummies or small prototypes that people could actually see that they started saying, "Okay, now I understand what it is you're talking about. Now I understand the difficulties that uh, that you have explained to me." But more importantly, now I understand what kind of value can this bring to my business because at the end of the day, that is what we're here to do. We're here to bring uh, insights and, and business value. So what role do you think that data analytics leaders play in, in these transformations today? Are they, are they the guys who need to build that trust or do they, do, is that just a part of their role? What do you think? I think it's a, it's a fairly big part of the role. Uh, there are obviously other, uh, other aspects to the role, but, but I think building this trust is, is a key part of it. Otherwise, uh, it, it, you won't be successful in, in a role like that. And I'm not by no means saying that I've nailed it. Because if I did, I probably would be teaching this stuff and making a ton of money or writing books about it. So um, I'm still learning as well. Yeah, um, and that it's a journey, right? Just like any transformation, it's not just an organizational thing. It's 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 an individual as well, right? Definitely. What do you think are some of the the big challenges for uh, data leaders today? I like to think that that it's it's the it's the breadth of the role that is uh, that is making it very very difficult, and I also think that makes it difficult to step into, uh, especially early on in your career, because it is this mix of um, of obviously having some some classical leadership uh, skills of of knowing how to to lead a team, setting some some direction, 
Uh, there's also a bit of um, a salesmanship in it um, because of what we just talked about. Being, you have to go out and build that trust. You have to explain something that can be fairly difficult to explain. It's, it's fairly technical. But you also have to have enough technical knowledge to uh, to entertain uh, conversations with the, with the people on your team who will actually be developing these things. Uh, because in my experience, at least, that's what they appreciate uh, more than anything. That is that you're willing to enter into even the deep conversations with them. You don't have to be an expert. Uh, that's what they are there uh, to to, that's the role they feel, but you have to know enough that you can have a qualified conversation, understand what it is that, that they are trying to uh, to bring forward. Mm, so, and you mentioned salesmanship there, which is which is key. What are some of the, uh, the the examples of good and bad salesmanship that you've seen in this context of, of trying to sell data analytics? I uh, I think whenever whenever I, I see someone starting a presentation and they uh, they start in PowerPoint and before they bring it into full screen, you can see that there's 96 slides now waiting ahead of you. That to me suggests that here's someone who's boiling the ocean. Um, so you haven't been able to to cut down your your storyline. So you you stay you stay focused on the essentials. Uh, and usually the, the same presentations tend to start bottom up. So you start with all the beautiful things that uh, technology can bring to you. And, and you talk a lot about technology and you talk a lot about, uh, about roles and uh, mechanics and methods. Uh, and then only towards the end, you start talking about and what does that actually mean for, for the business? I think it's, it's very much a question of trying to paint the picture of imagine this uh, and then having people imagine, well, it would be nice for me to have this particular problem solved. And then you can start talking into, well, this is how we can actually help you solve these problems. Uh, so that's, so it's, it's, it's very much the sort of the traditional approach of a journalist that you, you mm -hmm. work from the conclusion backwards uh, and not the, the approach of, uh, of a researcher where you do the opposite. Uh, agreed. And I think that the hallmark of a good story is that you start off with the general context. Okay. What maybe if you're presenting to the business, why is this important for you? Where am I coming from with it? And that doesn't need to take very long. That just set, setting the scene is is a key part, but it shouldn't take, as you said, a, a number of slides to do that. Then really getting into the meat again, keeping people engaged is is about uh, intrigue pings. It's about the particular way of of getting that message across. And you, if you're doing it in twelve slides, then it's probably not not the most engaging message. Maybe for you it is, but for for the person you're presenting to, less so. So. From your experience, what do you think are some of the, the, the qualities of leaders who inspire this real change and then this, this good storytelling? Let, 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 me, let me start by um, splitting in two. So um, there's the role you can, you can play uh, when trying to inspire people when, you are, uh, when they're physically present. Uh, and then there are the challenges of, of doing the same thing online. Um, I, I, probably no big surprise there that it's, uh, you, you lack... Uh, you lack the breadth of tools that you have available when you are physically present when you're doing it online, but but physically present, I think that's uh, to me it, it's um, it's almost showmanship. Uh, you don't have to be a, an actor. You don't have to be someone who who's very good at giving speeches, but you have to be authentic and and use yourself. So uh, so to me, um, moving around on stage, uh, interacting with people, asking them questions, actually being willing to. Um, to sort of digress from your set agenda based on what people are, are interested in is a key part of, of getting that uh, engagement. And then I think um, physical drops um, is, is also a nice way of, of getting people um, engaged in, in the talks. 
obviously when when I worked for the labor group, that was fairly straightforward. Uh, there was always a lot of uh, materials lying around that you could use for that. But it was actually surprising to see that uh, that was not necessarily the modus operandi of of uh, of meetings or presentations that you would do that. Uh, maybe mm. because everybody felt well, that's sort of. Uh, well, everybody has thought of this before, so, so why on earth would I want to do this? But uh, I, I still found that it worked very well, and I definitely think that when uh, when I've done these things outside of Lego, uh, using the props is is a is a key differentiator between uh, the things that go well and the things that are even just average. Yeah, and there is a, a balance between you know uh, using cliche and then reinventing the wheel. I think, and I think you, you're kind of touching on that there. Interesting about the the, the showmanship as well uh, and being this actor because it's very easy and you see this on LinkedIn all the time. People who post their that they they're that data consultants they they post like weird videos that have no insights, nothing to do with data, and I think that that does border on the on the the the, the side of well, it, there's definitely less value there, but also almost like cringing. It put turns people off, yeah. uh, and that's the the line that's really hard to balance. You when you say about using a prop, for example, that's an example of a technique that's gonna make people attach the real message to 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 the, the the show and then then that's how you get the message across it's 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 almost clandestine in a way but actually all it is is a good hallmark of, of, a, of a great message or a great presentation i think uh again with the 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 qualities of these the, the leaders you've seen do this well or maybe times you've done it well what do you think are some of the keywords some of the adjectives you would use to describe the people who are good at this stuff well, authentic, as I mentioned before, is one of the first things that comes to mind. But then I also think um, uh, the simplicity of their messages uh, is, is a key differentiator. And um, then I think being able to uh, to not take yourself too seriously uh, and uh, and be almost vulnerable in in the in your uh, in your approach to suggest that well there is something ahead of us here and and why we're excited about it. We also recognize that there are things that we don't know. Uh, squat about so so there's there's also challenges ahead so there's this honesty about what it is we're facing i think to me is at least something that makes me go okay i'm willing to to, to go to battle with you because it sounds like uh, you you have a plan you have an idea but you're not being unrealistic about what is it, what is it going to take to actually get there Mm. that's a great analogy to use about going to battle with someone as like a, a data team i think because as as a, as a data uh, organization you you have this this very solo division which is very good it's what is what you know you're paid to be there to do and to to use improve the data but if you speak to people who are two three four levels up from you data is only a part of their responsibility so it's not about fighting for that real estate i think it's about working in harmony to succeed in the mission so I think that's a really, really good analogy to use. Again, analogy is a really great uh, storytelling tool to be able to let people uh, as associate a particular idea with something that they understand. Uh, I, I fully agree. And that's also why I think uh, the whole the whole field of data journalism is, is one that we shouldn't ignore. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, of great things coming out from, from that field. Um, I started out with data visualization being, being sort of the focus when, when I did business intelligence. And, and one of the things I, I fairly quickly learned there was that this is not about um, preferences. We happen to like a particular way of displaying things. This is actually about hard science that someone has actually done the work of, of understanding what is the quickest way of making people understand a particular thing. And this is the way you then present it. So when you pick the colors of blue, gray, and brown, that's because they in all instill trust and they're easy to read off and they don't conflict with people who are colorblind. So there's a lot of, of, of sense behind that, which I, I thoroughly enjoy. Um, but then I also enjoy design. So, uh, so I also think uh, 
cutting things down visually as well. Uh, when you when you have a message to to bring forward, is is also a key way of uh, of making people listen to you because then there's nothing disturbing uh, in in the background. So one of the one of the uh, the, the, the top management guys at the, at the Lego group was extremely good at doing this. So he would bring these slides that were just pitch black and then there would be uh, maybe a, a number in white on it. That would be it. Because then mm. you were forced to, to, to listen to how uh, him explain why is this number important to us. Um, and it, well, I mean, you can easily imagine the opposite. Uh, one of these uh, extremely crowded slides where people start reading them. So there is something um, in trusting that you know what is the core message and then not caring too much about how do you then end up wording it uh, because that, that will actually make you, um, well, it will make, in most cases, it will make you freeze. So uh, just stick to, to the few core messages and then don't worry so much about how your, ex- your exact words are going to be uh, because you know what it is you will tell. And, and by the way, should you happen to say something wrong, well, you can always go back and change it. Mm. And and if someone gives you a question, you can always come back to come back to it later, even if you don't know the answer. I think what you're describing with your your uh, old top management leader who had the black slides, to do something like that takes a lot of courage, right? To to move the focus away from, uh, for example, most data leaders have a technical background, right? So uh, what that means is that they 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 tend to sit in front of a computer, very introverted, or they have done for a lot of their career. And as they move up through the ranks and become more business focused, uh, they they find there's this 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 paradigm shift where they now have to you know speak to people and be engaging and try and be a bit more extroverted so that takes a lot of courage to do that and i think that that for the leaders who can nail that down that can nail that balance who understand the, the data uh not necessarily coding or doing anything more granular but who who can also appreciate that this is for a business need and actually tailor that spotlight towards the business these are the guys who who are going to be uh you know the most successful in the space i think and um yeah, super interesting stuff about that that slider. I absolutely love that, and also the colours as well. Uh, can you just expand more on those? Because that's just more of a person interesting for me. Like the blue, <laughs> yeah, grey, and brown. Sure. Uh, I think if I if I'm not mistaken, I think it's it's something like eight uh, percent, six to eight percent of the population in general that's uh, that's colourblind, and uh, I think it's it's obviously much more predominant in men than in women. So I think it's only half percent of of the female population who who suffer from this. Um, and the the main challenge normally uh, sits around the colors uh, red and green. So something like a traffic light is actually a, a horrible invention. Um, <laughs> it, it can be decoded in, in traffic because it, it, there is also the, the positions that, are, that uh, let, let you know which one is, is lighting up. So it, 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 there's no danger there. But when you use it in a business context, and we all do this red, yellow, green thing, actually, there's going to be a bunch of people there who won't be able to decode it uh, uh, immediately. They, they're going to have to look for other cues. So I think as a bare minimum, you, you have to put in other cues to let people know uh, what is what are you supposed to read out of this information. Mm. So, so yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a ton of, of people out there who spend uh, quite a bit of time uh, organizing even uh, color libraries for, for coding that allows you to pick up colors that are safe for, for color blindness, which I think is a, is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have it myself, so I, I can't imagine what it's like to live without uh, the full spectrum. Uh, but I've had uh, a couple of colleagues who, who had it and uh, they tell all sorts of funny, funny stories about building full presentations that were all in pink uh, because nobody <laughs> was there to tell them that actually this. <laughs> you now, now pick the color pink. So um, it's double down. I think, it? Yeah, so, so I think beyond the, the, the funny situation, there's also some, uh, some, some seriousness to it that mm. uh, if, if our job is to make sure that people can decode information as quickly as possible, then this is something that we also need to take into account. 
Yeah, and, and I think that ties into to knowing the audience you're 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 working with and, and that you're presenting to. I think that uh, using the the the, the color blindness as an example, I think that uh, that's an example of good empathy to be aware of that and having that awareness, and then maybe bringing like a couple of other cues in that aren't necessarily visual. Uh, for example, the props. For example, using analogy, and and then just getting all of these nailed i think are really good tools to to be able to get that message across so what role did these skills play in your your career you know when you were trying to i don't know secure executive sponsorship or change the perspective of key stakeholders can you give some examples yeah i think uh probably one of the best examples i can give was uh when i still worked as a consultant um i was given an assignment to um to make quality management interesting uh, and i was left with the um with the impression that while almost saying the words, you can feel dust coming out of your mouth. So, so I had to do something differently, and uh, we ended up uh, we ended up building um, small games uh, to to explain things uh, instead. Uh, and and to me, that turned out to be um, uh, it was an eye opener that you could actually explain something fairly complex uh, in a much simpler way using uh, something that in in many cases is deemed uh, sort of childish. Uh, but the fact, the fact is that we all of us enjoy it. We still enjoy playing. So while it, it may take us a bit of time to accept that, well, actually now I'm, I'm leaving sort of the, uh, the safe adult mode where everything is serious and actually enter into play, uh, it, it usually ends up becoming uh, much better interactions when, uh, when that is, is, is part of it. Um, but what, what, what sort of brought me on that track was actually the preparation for, for this, uh, this event, as it turned out to be, because I was asked to, to bring back a storyboard um, and I asked the guy, do you mean a storyboard as in one of those that you would actually make for, for movies? And he said, yeah, yeah, that would actually be pretty cool. I'm not sure that was what he meant. So I was kicking myself on the way home saying, okay, you, you shouldn't have asked that. But, uh, but I went uh, into uh, the local comic store and I bought a couple of, uh, of comics uh, and brought them back home. And uh, then I sat in the basement for the next two weeks uh, building the storyboard. Uh, and I used the comics to basically copy off um, smaller elements because uh, I wasn't strong enough uh, in, in drawing. So I had to do something to make it sound, uh, seem like this was a, a reasonable storyboard. Um, so two weeks later, I brought it back to the, to the client saying, well, this is actually what I'm suggesting. Here are, uh, I think it was two A4 pages uh, drawn there with, with the smaller pictures saying, this is what I imagined that we do. And, and uh, slowly just walk him through my, my proposal. Um, and for the first time ever in my career, and I think also the last time, I hope not, but haven't imagined it since, uh, I had this, uh, this experience where, where the other part just say, well, I would like to buy one of those, period. No questions, no comments, just I would like to buy one of those. So it was, it was an eye-opener and definitely something that made me uh, realize that even if I'm by no means a, a, a trained professional when it comes to, to drawing or illustrating anything like that, Still being uh, willing to use those uh, those tools even at an amateur level uh, can can get you fairly far. Mm. And now now we pivot to talking about your new career as a comic book artist, with your new <laughs> superhero. And we're not going to talk about analytics or data or storytelling. No, 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 just data hero. <laughs> <laughs> data hero i love it uh awesome so this is this is super interesting what you're talking about there is is novelty and i think the word novelty or at least in in, in the english language it, it has the connotation of like uh shallow and uh something that's just like cool for this for the it's interesting for like five minutes and it's done i think when you in, in the context of that where you create a storyboard the the novelty is actually the real power behind it because it's something different it's not a powerpoint it's not a zoom meeting or you know, whatever they were doing back then. 
it's it's it has this intrigue where someone wants to learn more about it and that's that that's the start of a really good story again just keeping it general keeping getting people involved first of all having the general themes then going more specific i think is is absolutely key and and again that's something like that took a lot of courage to do that so you you, know, you said you're not very you, you're not experienced in drawing is something that was was probably a bit daunting for you at the time uh and, and I think that's a really great example of, of humility as well. How important do you think humility is when it comes to to general data leadership? Uh, it's it's definitely uh, it's, it's definitely uh, a key trait that you you have to possess because when you look at the uh, look at the field and all the different things that you can do there uh, to suggest that you can be an expert in in the field in general would just be ridiculous. So so you have to be uh, willing to accept the fact that all your uh, all your previous knowledge, all your opinions could be changed tomorrow by, by the emergence of something new. Uh, and, and that happens all the time, maybe not on, on the bigger scale all the time, but, but in, in the smaller things, uh, people come up with clever solutions that, that makes you go, oh, stuff I did yesterday, well, that's no longer the best way of doing it. So if you, if you become too stuck with, with particular ideas, then I think you're going to get into trouble fairly quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, we we mentioned a lot of good adjectives like that courage, humility, and and uh, vulnerability. You mentioned as well. With your, you know, let's let's talk about let's separate the question into like your previous roles and now your current role. What kind of role do you see that you're playing as uh, in this organization as a data leader? Are you a change agent? Are you an evangelist? Are you, uh, you know, someone who who helps get data over the over the line? You know, what would you perceive your roles as, both currently and previously? I, I think. Uh... Definitely, change agent and evangelist both ring true with the with the work that I do currently, but also the previous roles. That that's uh, that's a part of it, but also obviously uh, making sure that you you build something tangible. So there there has to be a, a certain focus on on delivery uh, as well. Um, I have been fortunate in in all my positions that I had the good people uh, around me who could also uh, help with the different aspects. And sometimes I've had to do the delivery myself. Sometimes I've had to do the evangelism myself. But but always I found myself um, maybe even seeking out uh, teams, even if they weren't formal, to to make sure that we that we had those uh, capabilities uh, at hand. Because I don't think uh, any one person could do all of this uh, him or herself. So so I definitely think it's it's, it's a team sport um, mm. and. Probably that's also, uh, to me, a personal thing. I, I grew up with a lot of team sports. Uh, I even coach, uh, well, handball as it is. Uh, it's a European thing. Um, so so to me, putting together a team that can perform is something that uh, I do both work-wise, but also in my, my, private, my, my personal life. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's very rewarding, actually. That's, that's probably the, the reason why I do it. And you mentioned that the, the, this team analogy is very team-based. How do you... Uh, approach the the rest of the team let's say in this case the organization uh, to help them become more data informed not driven i, I think um the the guy with the with the black slides uh, that was one of the things that uh, that i learned from him uh, that was uh, making sure that you zoom in on, on a few messages you have to you have to be very very curious about uh, your audience you mentioned that yourself earlier 
so if you if you do a piece of analysis for, for somebody else, um, you have to be interested in at least two things. So one is, is making sure you understand the field of work that they do. Uh, so you don't make any uh, completely silly or, or obvious recommendations. You have to come up with something that makes them think, ah, that's actually interesting. And then I think the other uh, part is you have to be interested in, in the language that they use. So so getting acquainted with, uh, with the way they talk about things, the, specific, the specifics of... Uh, acronyms and other things that they use so you don't come off as someone who's completely uh, new to the to the field and um, if you if you pay enough attention to those two things then i think you have a fighting chance of, of coming up with something from your data that they will find interesting mm. and a lot of that is about mutual trust so uh, what do you think are some of the best ways to to build and facilitate trust you've kind of touched on a few things uh, previously as well i i think um you shouldn't underestimate getting to know each other, uh, and and in in my uh, in my world that also means getting to know people beyond their their role. So uh, so for example, understand uh, what people's hobbies are. So you can use that sometimes as a um, as sort of an art entry into a conversation. Uh, it's also a way of of sometimes. Um, parking discussions uh, to say, okay, I get the sense that we're not really getting anywhere. So let's take a break and then we talk about something else. So knowing which, which could be the things that, uh, that mm. would be interesting to talk about is, is uh, definitely not a, a stupid thing to, to pick up. Um, but I think trust is, is it's, like, uh, it's, like, uh, it's like love. It's not something you can ask for. It's something that you have to build uh, and it's something you have to earn. Uh, and, uh, and that also suggests that trust is something that takes time um, and obviously, you can do certain things to accelerate. You can uh, you can honor your uh, your commitments. Uh, you can uh, surprise people. You can uh, you can be interesting. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think uh, it is going to take a bit of time uh, in a collaboration to to get to the point where you, where you have to trust. And trust, just like love, takes uh, years to build and moments to break. Right, uh, and that's 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 the hard part. Exactly. Uh, you know, what do you think are, then are some of the best questions to ask when build trust? Uh, you know, when you look at new stakeholders and you approach them, and what's your kind of process for that? I don't think I have a, a sort of a set process. I, I think basically just by intuition, I would um, I would be keen to understand uh, people's backgrounds, uh, but also understand what do they do sort of beyond uh, the immediate work role that they they fill. Uh, where they live, um, if it's around the holidays, I understand where they traveled. And I, I happen to be a fairly big uh, history and culture buff. So I always find it interesting to understand where people are gone and what they've seen, uh, because they might have seen some of the stuff that I only read about. And then that in itself is, is interesting. Um, I enjoy uh, sports quite a bit. So, uh, so that's also a, a natural uh, icebreaker. But, um, but I find that um, if you if you're curious uh, on on the world in general, uh, then anything flies. It could be uh, it could be cooking. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, to have an Italian uh, lady teach me how to make pasta this summer. Uh, that in mm. itself is a nice conversation starter. So uh, there's there's a ton of ways you can do that. But I, but I think you you have to do what I, what I, I think great salesmen all or do. They they don't jump uh, to the conclusion. They they take the time to to sort of. Uh, navigate the the room and and then slowly approach the, the topic that uh, that everybody knows we, we have to talk about at some point but they are they are good at uh, making sure that is that the the mood is there before we start talking about the difficult stuff yeah and and, and good salespeople, just like good data leaders have this natural 
and genuine curiosity as opposed to asking questions for the for the sake of the relationship i think there's there's it, it can be hard but it also can be quite easy to see when it's in, when it's sincere and when it is disingenuous as well true so look Morton, we we've, we've had a, a great chat i've just got a few more questions for you you come across as someone who uh, you know extensive background in in bi and, and analytics what do you like most about your uh, or working in this space uh, I, I like the fact that it's uh, that is difficult. Um, I, I like the fact that uh, that it's it's a mix of of many disciplines. Um, back when I had to pick my uh, my education, I was going back and forth between uh, studying Spanish, which I actually started doing, and then becoming engineer. And I even considered uh, working as an archaeologist at some point. <laughs> so, uh, so this this uh, this breadth of uh, of disciplines that go into uh, data leadership is is what really. Uh, that's what what gets my juices flowing. So, what advice would you give for aspiring data leaders? Um, I, I think that's if, if you're early on in your, your career, don't worry so much about where you'll be five or ten years from now. Uh, just really get nerdy with the stuff that uh, that you're doing right now. Uh, it'll it'll take you great places. It'll give you great experiences, and and more than anything. Um, It'll, it'll allow you to deliver something that other people will recognize. Then later on, if, uh, if you do this a couple of times, you'll be, uh, you'll be asked to, uh, to pick up more responsibility. And if you, like me, feel you end up always sitting at, at the end of the table, being the one who, who gets to, to make the decisions, then I think you should also ask for the, uh, for the formal responsibility um, and, and not just uh, accept that you're, well, you're an specialist who's then been asked to do a leadership role as well. I don't think that's fair. Mm. Well, Morton, thanks for coming on the show. It's been really fun talking about the, the the fundamentals of storytelling in a data context and talking more about your role, your career, your experiences. And we hope to have you on, again on the uh, on the show soon. I would love that. Thanks for.